My name is Ron Weir. I have the privilege of being able to serve as one of our church's elders. Uh, my wife, Cheryl, and I have been blessed to be a part of this family for uh, just about 20 years now, believe it or not. Um, so when you hear Karen or anyone do the announcements on Sunday morning, say, or if you've been here forever, that's kind of, we're in that category. We're one of those guys. And um, we've raised three great kids here. Uh, my wife and I are soon to officially be empty nesters as we're preparing to send my youngest off to college in the fall. And so we're finding ourselves in this season as we enter the new year of really seeking God's discernment and direction for this next chapter of our lives, empty nest chapter, uh, when we suddenly will, will have lots more time on our hands. We're already finding ourselves kind of in that capacity because my youngest is, is pretty social and always active, right? But um, I suppose here at the beginning of the year, it's always a time when you know, a lot of us tend to be a little bit reflective and seeking new direction and discernment. So maybe many of you, for different reasons, different times in your journey, are in a similar place of searching for God's direction and discernment for this next season of your life, whatever that is. And I pray that this morning's message will be helpful in that uh, pursuit. So what we're going to uh, continue on uh, with this morning is our series, obviously, Kingdom Come. And specifically, we'll be talking about His kingdom being a prayerful kingdom. In the course of our time together, I have what I hope and pray you'll find some extremely helpful and really exciting information and truth that I plan to share with you. Um, if I told you there was a prayer, the prayer, really, of all prayers, that could not only change your life but change everything, really, would that be exciting and helpful? Well, I plan to share that prayer with you this morning. Also, I'll be spending some time helping you understand the real heart of the whole equation and really the foundation for building a fruitful relationship and an impactful life in God's kingdom. I'll also close out this morning's time together sharing some ideas on intentionally building a prayer-filled life and a lifestyle of rest. Okay? Now, we're going to be reading again this morning through some, some more of Jesus' parables. If you want to grab your Bibles and open up to Luke's Gospel, we'll be starting there this morning in Luke chapter 18, and then we'll read uh, two additional par parables, one from Matthew 21, and then we'll come back to Luke chapter 14. So we're going to be right in the Gospels this morning. Before we conclude, I'm going to share with you two just foundational sort of cornerstone elements of building a lifestyle of rest. And I, I hope and pray it will start to get you thinking and reevaluating and really challenging yourself for how you can infuse into your life perhaps new boundaries, new rhythms, new disciplines to help you be more intentionally uh, in a state of Sabbath throughout your week at different times as opposed to just celebrating a Sabbath day each week, which many of us don't even do that, or resting when we're you know, off on vacation. My hope is that after today, you'll, you'll really kind of be wanting to pursue this and seek out, how do, I, how do I create more of a Sabbath lifestyle, a lifestyle of rest? So I'm going to talk about two aspects of that that I think will be really helpful as you try to do that. So let's get started. I've been enjoying this series so much personally, and I hope you have too. I can't think of a better way to start our year as a church, then working through and learning more how to do this, live in his kingdom. I'm not sure about you, but I would much prefer to live in God's kingdom than what feels like just an ever-increasingly challenging and frustrating worldly kingdom that we live in, right? 
So here's the thing, and Brandon's been really great all through this series trying to remind us of this. Jesus cares more about who you are becoming than what you are doing. We all too often want the directive or the recipe or the silver bullet. What do I need to do? Don't misunderstand. We're not saying that God doesn't care what you do with your one and only life. But that's not what this is about, right? I mean, the bottom line is that who we become at a heart level, at a spiritual level, will have the biggest impact on our future and on ultimately what we have to show for this life one day that we've been entrusted with and blessed with. If we mistakenly jump right to doing, as is the want of a lot of us, like myself, we run the risk of missing his kingdom or missing big chunks of what we could have experienced by way of life in his kingdom. The only way, the way, is having a life uh, in his kingdom is, is, uh, is really connecting to him at this, you know, what's happening inside of me level. Okay, who am I becoming? That's the only way to have a life that's going to be fruitful and impact, impactful. So for a minute, let's pause and revisit two outstanding pictures that teaching us with, because his kingdom is, is really so mysterious, right? I mean, in a sense, it's hard to fully comprehend this idea of God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. We should, I hope by now, know that it's not just a place we go to or that we find ourselves in when we die. No, Christ came to earth and he brought his kingdom. You all remember the famous prayer, right? Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom is here. Christ came to earth and brought it. But Jesus also said in Luke 17, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something to be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So his kingdom is here and it's real, but it's also too often an invisible reality to many of us. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, Paul reminds us that there are principalities and powers at work all around us, and that there is so much more than what we can visibly see or tangibly touch. Well, it's the same idea with the kingdom of God. It's here, but unfortunately, only some of us are going to get the opportunities or recognize the opportunities to interact with it and see it and live within it. And I hope and pray that our church will become a big chunk of that group of people that get to experience it and get to see it more and more and more. And so it's this classic, you know, and most essential both and. The already, but not yet. It's here now in many, many amazing and heavenly everyday little moments and experiences and relationships and more. And yet one day we will know it in its fullest sense ever. So what we'll be learning about today is how can we put ourselves by God's grace right inside the intersection point of heaven and earth more often? How can we grow and be able to receive more of God's ability to see our lives and other people and everything really around us the way he does? How can we develop spiritually so that our choices are more often his desires 
And our will and our determination are more characterized by His will and His word. And so this morning, whenever I use the phrase His kingdom or God's kingdom, this is what I'm describing. This ability to be in the here and now of earth, but at the same time be in this place where our hearts and our lives are in tune with Him and intersecting with heaven and in this place of oneness with Him and His Spirit and all that He has opened up to us through our life in Jesus Christ. For those of you who are old enough to remember this movie, The Matrix, does anybody remember that movie? In the first service, there was a little bit more of our uh, older crowd, I guess. It's not that old of a movie, guys. Come on. You've got to watch this movie. It's kind of interesting. But there's this sort of like second dimension of reality, right, that Keanu Reeves, the lead character, is kind of going in and back and forth, in and out of. And I know it's, a, it's kind of a silly little way of trying to understand this, but it's, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like the Matrix, this mysterious other dimension of a world that's really there and really different than this one. But only if our hearts and our minds are where they need to be will we ever be able to access this dimension of God's kingdom. You see, the reality of the kingdom is new life right in the midst of this one. And the results of the kingdom are really what it's all about. It's ultimately what allows us to have a purpose-driven life, as the book is entitled, because it results in allowing us to be able to be used in God's work as he is restoring people and restoring places and using us as part of his story. And the best part of all is the reward of the kingdom, which is Jesus both now and forever. So God's inviting you to become the person you were always created to be. And to become this person, you have to live your life for him, not you. Sorry. With him. Because he's already given us everything we'll ever need, and literally the only thing we need to do, and I don't mean to suggest this is easy exactly, but it is rather simple in terms of what's needed on our end of this relationship, at least for starters. The only thing that we need to do is believe in him. In other words, believe that he actually is the Son of God, that he died and rose again so that you and I could live in the life that he intended and hoped for here and eternally without death in his kingdom. The best part of this whole deal is that as we believe and give him back our life and ask him to be our Lord and our King, we are then invited by him into his kingdom right here, right now on earth, in our families, in our job, in our relationships, in everything. So this morning, we're going to explore what does this all mean that his kingdom has come? But before we dive into how we can live more often in his kingdom, even within our current realities, I want to start in a bit of an unconventional place. I mentioned to you a prayer above all prayers, the prayer really, that will change your life and your future. Well, here it is. Let's talk about this and start out with this very prayer. I want to extend the opportunity to all of you in the privacy of your own seat, your own heart and mind, to express to God your belief in Him, your desire to allow Him to be the Lord over your life, your intention to give back to Him your life and all your gifts and abilities and resources, and to ask Him to begin today opening Himself and His kingdom up to you more and more and more. Now, most often, churches like ours, uh, if they're going to extend an opportunity like this, they'll do it at the end of service, where they give an opportunity to give your life over to Christ, 
But it occurred to me that especially today as we talk about his kingdom being a prayerful kingdom and a kingdom of rest, humility and obedience, honor and gratitude, godly perspective and vision and awareness and engagement in the world around us, I realized it'd be a really big miss on my part and on our, on our church, uh, on, our, on our part as a church, if I didn't help some of you to pray this absolutely critical prayer, again, the prayer really, and take this essential step into a life in Christ, into a surrender to his lordship and kingship, and into his all-sufficient, amazing kingdom. So if this is you and you've never talked with Christ personally in this way about this critically important aspect of your relationship with him and belief in him, or if it's just been a long time since you did so and you'd like to once again reaffirm your belief and your desire for him to be truly Lord over every aspect of your life, if either of these are you this morning, please consider humbly joining with me now in this prayer. And as you do, please know that Jesus has accepted you into his family and opened up the doors of his mysterious kingdom to you. So just quietly now, again, in the privacy of your own seat, let's bow your heads and close your eyes. If you'd like to join with me in praying this prayer, please do to yourself. Join me with, the, with me in these words. Dear Lord, in Romans 10, your beloved apostle Paul reminded me that if and when I declare with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and when I believe in my heart that God raised his son, Jesus, from the dead, I will be saved. For it's with my heart that I believe and am justified, and it's with my mouth that I profess my faith and am saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For the Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today I call on the name of Jesus and I profess to you personally, please hear me talking with you, Lord. I believe you are the Son of the Most High God, the one true living God. I believe you died on the cross for me, to forgive me of any sin I've ever committed or will ever commit. I am so grateful for your forgiveness and your sacrifice for me. I want to give you back as an expression of my gratitude and my honor, my life. Please be Lord over my life. Show me your way. Please open up the doors of your kingdom so I may come in and live there with you. Use me, Lord. Make my life new. Make my life matter for what you care about most. Begin in me a new work, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, or if you've prayed a prayer like this in the past, you need to know that you have his kingdom open to you. And congratulations on beginning an amazing new life in Christ. Your future and your life will never be the same. You have just taken the most foundational step into the kingdom of God. But, and I certainly don't want to be a killjoy at such an important time in your journey, in your life, but for all of us, this is an important but. We need to learn how to increase in our life the time and the percentage of our life that is in his kingdom. Yes, we're Christians, but you and I both know there's a broad spectrum of what that means in people's lives. How does it affect 
your everyday life? What does it look like at the end of your life? What do you have to show for it? And so we need to not only ask the Lord to be our Lord and to be our King and to surrender our life daily, but we need to be seeing and choosing His kingdom also daily if we are ever going to be able to, see, to stay there and to live there uh, as often as we would like. Seeing and choosing. Seeing something worthy of gratitude and choosing to honor and give thanks. This seeing and choosing his kingdom is not usually accomplished with our eyes, right? It's more accomplished with our hearts and our heads and our physical capacities. If our hearts are not in the right place, we risk being blind and even ignorant. And in the end, if we can't see well and we can't choose correctly, we will find ourselves with a less than ideal and perhaps downright painful result. So, if you can see with God's eyes and not your own, it will give you greater vision for the spiritual dimension that we were just talking about. It'll give you an increased awareness of the things of God and the opportunities that he's putting before you each day and intends for you. It'll also give you discernment to avoid other things that he does not desire for you. And quite frankly, he may even be attempting to completely protect you from. Choosing is really your ability to align your will and your day-to-day choices with his will and his word. And as you tune into him more through prayer and his word and rest, and in other ways, put yourself in a place where you can receive his grace, receive his truth more, you're able to see more clearly what you need to do, what you need to avoid doing, and you can also find this power and this ability outside of yourself to do this. Because let's face it, we can't do it on our own, guys. That's kind of at the heart of that very prayer we just prayed together, right? I can't do it on my own. Lord, be Lord. Be king. I can't do it on my own. I need a Lord. I need a king. I want a Lord. I want a king. So what kinds of things can block our vision and our will, our ability to see the kingdom and our ability to make great choices living in the kingdom? The number one thing, number one thing, unfortunately, is as human beings that we struggle with is unforgiveness. Huge block to our vision and our will. And really what we're saying, whether we realize it or not, if we're not willing to go there in forgiveness, and you might not realize this is what you're saying, but this is what we're saying. We're saying, I'm better. I'm better. I like to be forgiven, but I can't give forgiveness. You don't deserve it. You're less than me. Sorry, guys, there's nobody less than anybody at the foot of the cross. And he forgave us of everything, and that's what we're called to. But when we don't forgive, huge block, huge block to our vision and will. How about worry? Now, we all know, you know, there's no fear in the Lord. There's no fear. Um, You know, nothing to fear. God is faithful. He has us taken care of. He has us in his protection and his hand. We know through our own story. We We could all tell numerous times of his faithfulness of his hand, his loving hand taking care of us. But yet, what are we doing when we worry and we still choose to hold on to that? We allow it to to grow into fear and anxiety. We're saying, I'm the most trustworthy, not God. I know God, I know, but I know better. I'm most trustworthy. How about busyness? This is like one of my pet peeves of our current culture. And I got my phone sitting over there and I just love the freedom from it. But one of the things we're most busy with is idle, like irrelevant, FaceTime, screen time, 
instead of FaceTime that matters most with human beings. I'm convinced that what you see there on the screen as an acronym for busy is pretty apropos, being under Satan's yoke. We're told he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Boy, with our busy schedules that we don't manage well, he's got us distracted, he's got us unfocused. The last thing he's got us doing is having vision and will for the kingdom and for God. So we've got to take hold of this. We're gonna, one of these specifically is addressed busyness in one of the parables this morning. How about our best plans? Now, I'm a financial planner by background and profession. I'm a big advocate for planning. But here's the problem with many people's plans. Once it's on paper, nothing that's a detour or different from what I've got down is allowed. It's inflexible. It's in, it's, 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 it's doesn't, it doesn't allow you to adapt and adjust. And a good plan needs to adapt, needs to adjust. And a good kingdom citizen absolutely needs to adapt and adjust because God is going to put detours in our path. God is going to put opportunities we could have never envisioned in our path. And if we're just so beholden to our plan, what are we saying? We're saying, I'm smarter. I'm smarter. This is the plan. How about incorrect priorities? Now, I'm a big fan of having fun. I like to enjoy myself. I like to help other people enjoy themselves. But if our enjoyment is more important on a regular basis than serving others, than giving of ourselves to others, than making time for God and for the things he cares about, I think something's a little warped there. I think it's pretty strong odds our vision and our will are being blocked because I don't think the purpose-driven life is maximization of my enjoyment. I think it's maximization of his glory and his enjoyment. How about over-engagement with other kingdoms? And I'll be the first to confess in front of all of you my big challenge, maybe like many of you over the last, I don't know how many years, three to five years especially, is this kingdom of politics. Now, we're obviously called to be in the world, but not of the world, and so we have to engage, and we have to vote, and we have to have opinions on policy issues and candidates. But when we start listening to this stuff too much, and it's inside of us, and it's all we think about, it's all we talk about, and it's all we fight about, and I think we just swapped out a really, really empty kingdom in exchange for God's kingdom. I don't want to be in that kingdom. I want to be in his kingdom. And I'm so happy that Brandon has spent as much time as he, he has intentionally over the last few years teaching us about another of Satan's trump cards, and I really don't mean that for political humor, but it is kind of funny. Anytime I say that, and I say that a lot because I play Hilo Jack, Trump, you know, um, but this is, a, this is a real tool in his arsenal, isn't it? Money, financial security, not God security, financial security. That's what our industry talks about. Independence, financial independence, not dependence on God, financial independence. So these kingdoms, you've got to identify them and say, hey, I'm overly engaged in a kingdom that's not the kingdom I'm a member of and I'm a citizen of, and declare it. And this is a big deal because it's blocking our vision and our will. So, since his kingdom is not of this world, it's really a supernatural kingdom, how can we help ourselves to connect more personally with him and receive his help more? Well, guess what one of the best, most practical, most effective ways to do this is? It's developing a prayer-filled life. A prayer-filled life. Think about Jesus himself. How much his life was characterized by prayer, conversation with, and petition to his father. All the more, I trust you guys would agree that we would stand to benefit greatly from this same way of living. 
And at its core, this kind of life is a tangible demonstration and evidence of our trust and our belief in him. I mean, we don't talk with God and ask him for help if we don't believe in him, right? However, if we truly believe he is who he says he is, that he's the highest power in all creation, I mean, if we really believe this, it would be just downright stupid to say it plainly to not talk with him regularly and ask him for help regularly, wouldn't it? But that's what we do. A friend of mine shared recently how his mom, who's a long-time, very devout Christian, uh, literally prays about everything, <laughs> from parking spaces to safety before driving to even being able to find a sale. Now, there was almost this sense when he was telling me about it that, you know, she's a little bit over the edge with this. She's a little extreme in her way of praying. And I guess, you know, it's certainly possible, but how about you guys? I would rather err on the side of praying too much than not enough. So, I mean, I heard the story and I said to him, well, I, I don't know. I mean, my humble observation is it's pretty clear to me who your mom trusts most. It's who she talks to most. Um, and so that's kind of, in some form or fashion, precisely what fuels a prayer-filled life. I mean, it, it ends up getting right up there with oxygen in term of, terms of importance for daily living, right? So I want to share a story, a little personal story of what is ideally happening at this foundational heart level, really needing in each of us to develop at this heart level if we are ever going to be able to really continue growing and supporting this very different kind of prayer-filled life in his kingdom. Now, this is not a paid advertisement, but have any of you heard of a store called BHLDN? Anyone? BHLDN. I didn't think so. It's pretty obscure. It's essentially a catchy, shorthand way of saying the word beholden. And it's a wedding dress store. My daughter, Rachel, got engaged this past summer and is getting married on August 2nd this year. Crazy, right? I'm looking at her, her babysitter when she was about six years old right in the front row here. <laughs> One of her babysitters. I was thinking about that when I saw you earlier. I'm like, this is crazy. But Rachel really blessed me over the Christmas break when she invited me to come with her and my wife and my other daughter as, as they had an appointment to go try on wedding dresses. Now, guys, I'm not going to kid you. My first instinct was like, I could think of like, maybe even going to the dentist would be better than this. But shopping, yeah, you know. Something quickly told me, no, this is a different kind of shopping. So I said, you know what? I'm so blessed that she would even want me there. I went. Well, she ended up finding her dress. And by the way, there's a little, there's a little vignette right there. Don't blow past that. My human nature was like, no, nah, I'm good. But I quickly, thanks to God's grace, said, no, I need to be there. I was invited. That means a lot to her. And it ended up meaning a lot to me. And I would have missed out on that blessing, that little kingdom moment if I didn't go. So I don't want you to miss that. But she ended up finding her dress. And she literally knew almost as soon as she put it on and, and saw the dress that she was saying yes to this dress. And we did too. It was like it just literally took your breath away. Uh, I found myself, I'm a pretty emotional guy to begin with. I get all emotional. So it was really cool. I was really glad to have been able to be there for that moment. But do you have any idea why they would choose to call their wedding dress store Beholden? Well, I looked up the word in the dictionary and the definitions included the following. Owing thanks or having a duty to someone in return for help or a service. One great definition, I thought this was the best definition that I loved, I think it really answers this question well, is honor bound. Honor bound. 
And in the context of marriage, what a great name for this kind of store, right? Bound, committed to each other and to Christ in honor and love for each other forever. When we marry, if we're doing it well and we're doing it right, we're able to see it this way. We're able to see it as my giving my life willingly out of honor and love for the other forever until death do us part. So marriage and the idea of being honor-bound to another person like this really helps us understand what it's like at this heart level, except at another whole kingdom sort of level of this when it comes to our life in Christ and in his kingdom. When you accept the gift of his indescribable love and sacrifice and you really believe that and you really begin to grasp the depth of that, you can't help but want to give him back your life out of this deep sense of honor and duty and gratitude, all of it. You want to be honor-bound. So living in this prayer-filled life is influenced, believe it or not, most significantly by me and where I'm at at this heart level, where I'm allowing myself, where I'm, where I'm intentionally putting myself at this heart level. Am I having this deep sense of honor for Christ and all he's done for me, all that he's wanting to open up to me in his kingdom? Now, perhaps for many of you seasoned Christian veterans here, this is no heavy revy to you this morning. But, if you're honest, you probably wouldn't necessarily say that your life is a prayer-filled life either. And you might be asking yourself, what's up with that? Well, real simple. Paul could really relate with this. There's a big difference between knowing and doing, right? In Romans 7.15, he said, I don't understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And so there's this incongruency or inconsistency that we can all at some level relate with, right? Between what we know and what we want to do and what we're actually doing. But here's why this is important to wrestle with and figure out some more. And again, Paul in Philippians 2, verse 12, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, uh, excuse me, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. Now, I personally read these two words, fear and trembling, as humility and honor. With fear and trembling, with humility and honor. You are before the king of all kings, after all, who has invited you into his family, invited you into his home and his kingdom. What? Honor and humility, fear and trembling. So let's segue into the parables. Um, now, Brandon's done a wonderful job of helping us really understand this concept, but I want to reiterate, why did Jesus teach in parables? He taught in parables so that his hearers would really have to engage with what he was sharing, right? They took ownership of what they were listening to. They were searching for his hidden meaning and message and truth, and they really needed to be not only attentive, but really engage with the story, right? And almost always he finished off by asking a question which caused them to really want to deliver the right answer to the, to the master. And most assuredly, they left there and for days after, they, they just thought about, what does this mean for my life, right? But what each of these parables did was they really described certain facets of God's kingdom, certain facets of who we have to become in our hearts at a spiritual level if we are to truly live in that intersection point that we showed on the earlier graph. So let's go to Luke 
chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even the likes of this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you this, that man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. One of the most essential facets of his kingdom and of our hearts, if we're to ever live there, is humility. Humility, but you've got to understand, guys, as human beings, one of the most fleshly attributes we have in our humanness is pride. It's the opposite thing, right? This essential ingredient and really doorway into his kingdom that Jesus was teaching about was humility. Let's jump over to Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. Give you a minute to get there. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and he went. And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Another essential facet of God's kingdom and the character and the aspects of our spiritual life that he is desiring and intending to grow in us. Obedience and faithfulness. What is God calling you to? What is God speaking into your heart through his word, through his spirit in your prayer time? Who are you sharing it with and talking about it with to try to clarify his, his direction? Obey him. Be faithful. Key aspects of God's kingdom. Let's jump back to Luke, the last of the parables that we'll read this morning. And for me personally, one of my favorites. Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come. For everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. 
Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. I will tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. You remember we talked about busyness? I guarantee you, each one of those folks thought their busyness was really important. I mean, one of them just got married. One of them's checking out his brand new oxen. Another's checking out his brand new field. All sounded plausible and really important. But the result was the host of this party was saying, they'll never enter into my banquet. How many choices are we making that foreclose us from entering into the banquet that God is preparing for us in his kingdom? The opportunities he's wanting to lead us into. Maybe he created us for. So as we close, I want to share just very briefly, I'm going to make a, uh, available to all of you, anyone who's, who's interested, it'll either come out on Connections or it'll be available through the community group um, channel. But I, I, I put together a list that I think you may find really helpful. It's just a list of what I'm calling life application ideas for creating a lifestyle of rest, the Sabbath way of living, because Sabbath is more than just a day. If we do not allow ourselves the opportunity to rest in different ways, to engage with him and his creation and people, there's so much of his kingdom and his banquet that we'll miss out on. So two key things I want to leave you with, and then I'm going to pray. These are like cornerstones that I want you to be challenged in your own thinking by. How can I incorporate these into my life in different ways? And this is sort of, again, the Sabbath lifestyle, making time and taking notice. Make time for God. Make time for yourself. Make time for others. It requires humility. It requires honor and respect, valuing others and God before yourself. Take notice. Stop and question, is this busyness that I think is so important, is it possible that I'm missing out what God's intending for me because I'm allowing it to? Someone came up to me in the first service and said, you know, I struggle with the busyness thing because I don't know, you know, so much is of, of my busyness is being put on me by my employer and I don't, I don't know how to, like, manage it. And so we talked a little bit about boundaries. But what we allow in, make no mistake about it, whether it's being thrust on you by a third person or an employer or anybody else, if you're allowing it and it's robbing you of this life, that's on you, okay? That's on you. That's our responsibility. So making time, taking notice. And again, I'll share that list of some life, life application ideas to try to build this new Sabbath rhythm into your life. Let's pray.